So why this uh, format? Why, why this thing? I think it's really fascinating that the, the sixth and, I think, is, is it the final, the final Free Methodist movie today? Next week's the final one. It's weird how it lines up with innovation because I think that's really a, a really timely word uh, for this morning. Because this, this story, and it won't be long, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be pretty short, but it actually is probably, I say this all the time, but this actually probably is, if not my most favorite story in the entire Bible, one of the most consequential, I think the most under-theologized, under-understood, under-recognized story in the entire Bible. And I, and I say that with some, uh, some conviction. And in order to understand this story, all you have to do is go back to that scene in your head with Jesus and his disciples as kind of the story of Mark is kind of just chugging along. But the story has shifted. It's changed pace. And that's really significant because I think it's really fascinating that this story kind of creeps up almost silently, kind of out of nowhere in this timeline of Mark. That we've done some review and we've seen and we've, we've witnessed and we've Behold in our minds, imaginations that, you know, Jesus, this unexpected person, kind of comes in, he's baptized, he, he's clearly, he's given this authority, he's, uh, the dove comes down and God's voice is, this is my son, thundering and looming and loving, and I've chosen him. He has a job. And then Jesus kind of pivots in his ministry, he starts reaching out to unexpected people. These people that he gathers around him are people that no one really would have expected tax collectors and sinners and, and sick and diseased and kind of the outcasts. And he, he gathers his disciples and they're all these unexpected people that would never be associated with a rabbi like Thomas and Philip and, and Matthew and Peter. They're just normal people, peasants. And then his ministry grows as he's kind of teaching and, and preaching, and that crowd is always present, and people are like, wow, this guy is incredible. Jesus does all these miraculous things. He shows this remarkable, unexpected power. He walks across the water. He calms the sea. He raises the dead. He does these things that only prophets can do. And then it becomes clear that Jesus is, is actually kind of on this, this unexpected mystery about him, that he's not just a prophet. He's not just a healer. He's not just a teacher. He actually reveals himself to be God in the flesh on the Mount of Transfiguration, standing between Moses and Elijah, and the culmination of Israel's history, this ancient, long history from the beginning of time, comes into full, plain view that this guy isn't just a special person. He's God incarnate, and to look at him is to actually see God. To see Jesus is to see God. And in this narrative of Mark, it, as he comes down the mountain, the whole story kind of shifts and changes and points towards Jerusalem because now Jesus is repetitively, repeatedly saying, I am going to die, that these people around me are actually going to kill me. And then I'm going to come back to life. I'm going to come out of the grave. And his disciples don't know what to make of it. The people closest to him don't know how to, what to make of it. And then a couple, weeks we did this story, a couple weeks ago we did this story where Jesus comes down the mountain and his disciples are trying to like, cast out a demon, but they've lost power. They don't know how to do it anymore. And they're arguing with, with the religious leaders. And Jesus says, you know, this, this walk with me is a walk of faith, a walk of prayer, conversation. And last week with, with Bob, while we were away, Bob did a sermon on, on prayer. 
this conversation with God the Father is actually at the center of following him. And now we're in a point where the disciples have repeatedly showed that they are not getting it. Who has ever felt like they, they do not get what's going on in the story of God or your life? Like you're, maybe you're sitting in class like, I do not get what the teacher's trying to tell me. I do not get where this is going. I do not get what's going on around me. This is all very, very confusing. Well, the disciples are, the further they walk with Jesus, I think the more like they just don't get it. And so this story, where Jesus is kind of walking in a town, and he's teaching like he always does, and he's, and he's preaching. And you have to imagine the crowd, which is always seems to be there, is there. They're present. And his disciples are there. Who knows how they're feeling, but maybe they're just feeling like confused, perplexed, that Jesus is saying a lot of things, and they don't really know what to make of it. And, and Jesus is just teaching on and on, and Mark is really interesting because he doesn't tell us what he's actually talking about. But Jesus is there, he's teaching. And then there's a noise. And it's an annoying noise, like a shrill noise, like a, like a breaking kind of the silence kind of noise. And a bunch of kids start running into the view. And they start moving towards Jesus. And they start swirling around him, and they start tugging at his tunic. And they're kind of screeching and laughing, and they're being really annoying. And then the disciples, as I imagine it playing in my mind, they're like, they kind of come too. And they realize what's going on. They cannot believe that they let this happen. They cannot believe that they had let children come this close. And what was worse is that mothers are starting to bring their babies towards Jesus. And maybe they start, you know, slapping each other's shoulders like, you're supposed to be on watch. You're supposed to be protecting the rabbi from this sort of stuff. And so they come to the, to the children and they start picking the children off of Jesus. And they shoo them away. Get out of here. Get lost. Go somewhere else. Serious stuff is happening. And you're in the way. And I think one of the most important things that Jesus ever said, in my opinion, He says, don't push these children away. Don't ever get between them and me. These children are at the very center of life in the kingdom. Now, if you were to hear this, if you were a disciple and you you had witnessed everything that had happened so far, and you were Peter, and you'd seen Christ transfigured on the mountain, and you had heard God's voice, this is, this is my son. And you started to realize who this person is. And now Jesus is just throwing out one of the most obscure, strange, uh, shocking comments that he had made to date. Because in those days, children, it's true that, that Jewish people value their children, but they value their children more in the place of, of, a, of a placeholding purpose that children were actually going to be the fulfillment of a legacy, that you would raise your children up to carry on your name, that you would protect them and teach them so that one day they become adults, they kind of keep society going. 
So childhood was important for the, for the end, but, but childhood is actually kind of a means to an end. Childhood itself wasn't cared for at all. Children weren't people. Women weren't people. They were just treated like chattel. They're at the very bottom of society. Children largely didn't matter. And in Roman culture, it was even worse. The context in which Jesus is saying this, it would have been so radical. A Roman man had every right to even throw away his children. Infanticide in the Roman, in Roman, in Roman life was an actual ongoing concern. Tossing babies off, raising children up, treating them however you wanted because they actually didn't, they didn't matter. As Jesus is saying, don't you dare get in the way of them that actually they are at the center of kingdom life. That alone is paradoxical to our thinking as adults, especially these disciples. And you can imagine if you were a disciple and you're a big, tough, strong fisherman, or you're a big, tough, you know, Simon the Zealot, you're, you're, you think yourself so important, and you're being told that, no, actually, you are second to them. I don't know how the disciples responded, but Jesus wasn't finished. Jesus says, mark this, unless you, now he's not pointing to the kids, he's pointing to the adults in the room, to the disciples, to the crowd, unless you accept God's kingdom in the simplicity of a child, you'll never get in. Unless you come to the kingdom as a child, you will never get in. Then he gathered the children up in his arms, he laid hands on them, and he blessed them. Now this little tiny story, I think, is the most under-theologized piece of the Bible, in my opinion. Because what Jesus is saying right here should change our entire framework our entire paradigm of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to participate in kingdom life. What did Jesus mean when he said, unless you adults become like children, you won't enter the kingdom of God. And I've read all kinds of commentaries and scholarly articles about this. I think they all have come up short in my view. Because a lot of people say, well, children are simple-minded. Children are blindly trusting. Children have simple faith. As a dad of three, I've learned that's actually not true. I've had some really, really deep, uh, perplexing, like confounding questions come from my kids on the existence of God, the existence of nature, what happens when people die. Like the, children have an immense capacity for the deeper things. Children aren't just blindly trusting of anybody. They don't just have simple, a simple-minded faith. I, I don't think that's what Jesus is meaning. And some scholars think, well, Jesus is saying, well, children, to become like a children means you have to become meek and mild and put yourself in the lowest position. And that's, that's probably true. But I don't think it grasps the full idea of what Jesus is saying. I think even in this, that, that story alone, how the children were so disruptive to the thing that was happening, they destabilized the very moment 
and what Jesus was trying to teach because children are actually innately on their own creatures of imagination. They're creatures of playfulness and they're creatures of story. That children see the world, if you've ever seen kids play, they seamlessly weave in and out of imaginary worlds, breathlessly, without any effort. If you've ever seen a bunch of kids play, as adults, this, this skill uh, evades us. We lose this, unfortunately. But like, kids just, you see a playground, they don't, they don't have to know each other. They just enter each other's worlds. Who's ever seen this before? Just like, breathlessly. And they're living in the, re in the reality and they're living in their imaginary worlds without any sort of tension at all. And that's brilliant. They're, and that's their world, that's where they're thinking, they're learning and they're, they're, they're testing things out. And their, their curiosity is, is ex helping them explore, this, the, explore the worlds. And they're becoming things and they're taking on characteristics and qualities that, that they can't yet possess. So when you see a kid uh, being Spider-Man, they're, they're learning how to defy gravity. They're wondering what it would be like to not be constrained by gravity and all the rest. And their imaginations are incredibly powerful and they work this out playfully. And that's actually their work. And what's beautiful about this is that the playfulness is actually for its own sake. Play is spontaneous. It's fun for its own pleasure. It's not meant to be, you know, task masking and hard and difficult and grinding. Play is self, uh, like, uh, like, propelled by its own joy. And so children are creatures of imagination with their curiosity and they're, they're playing together and they're actually co-collaborating. They're co-creating. They're co-building worlds. It's beautiful. And those worlds inevitably, almost intrinsically, always become stories. They're woven narratives, characters, themes, plots, purpose. And when I hear Jesus say this, it strikes me that Jesus is saying to the adults who are we're often bound by structure, by security, by form, by exclusion. Our identities become kind of solidified and, and who we think we are and we lose that ability to be curious. We lose our ability to, to cooperate playfully and we lose our sense of story. And I think what Jesus is saying is unless you become like a child and you see the world, this imaginary world, this invisible world that requires your imagination, unless you can cooperatively work with others, like right now, in this ongoing narrative of God's redemptive story in humanity, you, you, you just can't be a part of the kingdom of God because that's what it actually is. It may surprise you, but it takes imagination to come to church. Who's ever seen Jesus face to face? Nobody. Who's ever heard Jesus' audible voice? Nobody. Who's ever seen the literal physical kingdom of God with walls and gates and pillars and nobody? Who's ever learned to love someone who's not in their immediate family? 
hopefully all of us. That the invitation to be childlike is actually invitation into an invisible world that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't possess, but actually shapes our entire way of life, the kingdom life, that we are all co-collaborators, co-creators. You all made this morning possible. That's kind of why the chairs are facing each other. Look at each other. This is a beautiful thing. The church is a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's not this. It's you co-collaborating, co-creating people of story. Who's been affected by the story of Jesus in their life? All of you. Even if you don't even know what I'm talking about, you're here this morning. And this story's been being written for thousands of years, and we are participants with thousands of years of millions of billions of people experiencing the same thing. And why scholars don't focus on this, I don't know. But I ask, and I've been asking this for a long time, a long, long, long time. I'm compelled by this story, if no other story in the Bible, no other story in the scriptures, this singular story drives my entire purpose in ministry. What would it be like for a church to look and manifest in the ways of, of childhood, of childlikeness? Now, I don't mean, sometimes when I say this, I don't say, well, I don't want Chuck E. Cheese church. I don't want crazy this every week. That's not what I'm saying at all. What would it look like for a church to actually embrace imagination, embrace curiosity, embrace cooperation and, and playfulness, and be, and be creatures living through story? What would that look like? How would that look? What would be the result? So my encouragement to you today is bravo for participating. That's awesome. That takes guts, takes vulnerability, takes childlikeness, which the more we age, sometimes the, the harder it is to, to re-engage with that sense of ourselves. My encouragement to you is to see yourselves as a child of God, a creature of story and imagination and play. And my, my third is to actually take a prize. <laughs> Remind yourself of what it's like to be spontaneous and fun and childlikeness. And that, you know, I'm going to save some bubbles for mercy. Other than that, take whatever you want. That's a water no, you know what? Take the water blasters. Nobody, we don't want those in our home. I thought those were bubbles. So thank you for being a part of this uh, childish morning of hopeful, fun. No, they're not bubbles. Yeah, sorry. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you 